0: hey this is kate welcome to two pastors take a walk and make a podcast
1: this is yolando and as always we're talking about what is astonishing us what we're thinking about and what we are preaching
0: And we were supposed to be recording on a Tuesday, and the plan was to be two pastors who took a run and made a podcast. But then one of us I'm not saying who. One of us um, had a conflict. And so now it's Thursday. And instead we're two pastors who took a drive. We
1: took a drive. Got some coffee
0: podcast. This is not, we are not moving in the right direction, but that's all right. So what is astonishing you?
1: I am astonished by a dear, sweet sister in our church named Frances Beck. Uh, We had her funeral on Saturday. Uh, Frances was born in 1934 uh, in South Carolina. And um, unfortunately, she had a fall in her driveway that cracked her skull. Um, We were so hopeful um, for her recovery because she, even though it cracked her skull, uh, she didn't have to have surgery, um, but she had a second fall, mm-hmm. and um, that, that was really um, uh, what did the most damage, of course. But I'm astonished by um, her next-door neighbor who attended the funeral, um, who was the only African-American uh, in the, at the funeral other than uh, some members of the church. And after the funeral, Frances' neighbor stopped me, and uh, she said, I just want to introduce myself. I feel like I know you because Frances talked about you all the time. She loved you. And it just warmed my heart and made me remember why we do this work um, and how Mm -hmm. important it is and how... Uh, what an effect it has on people's lives because I think about all the things France has experienced in terms of the racial history of this church being born mm-hmm. in 1934 in South Carolina. She's seen so much um, ugliness and yet um, because of Jesus, because of the community um, at Derrida Church, this woman embraced, loved, uh, received as her brother and pastor uh, this African American and... Um, not only that uh, spoke about me to her neighbor, I-, I don't know. It just, it was just very beautiful. To it's me. really,
0: I mean, it's powerful to me because I know more of your story. So, cause we've been friends for 10 years. And yeah. so this is not the first historically white church that has called you as a black man to be their pastor and that to help correct. them um, grow, uh, grow numerically and grow in inclusivity and diversity. And, You have served a church (laughs) that really called you but didn't call you, Mm -hmm, and one -hmm. of the ways that that got um, expressed was every time someone died, they would invite someone else in to do the funeral. That is correct. Which was incredibly just... It was painful. painful, it was hard,
1: yeah, because I loved them. Even when I did the pastoral care, they would call a former pastor to do the funeral.
0: Correct, because they because they had not overcome yeah. the um, the system of white supremacy yeah. that they had been taught to view the gospel through and, and weren't interested in having that illusion and lie broken for them. And so that was hard, and I think you were really faithful to them. And when we talk a lot about as pastors, I mean, we're not... Um, we're we're not like disembodied Mm. truth coming from a microphone i mean we're we're truth spoken in love Mm -hmm. like the peterson translation of the verse that the only thing that matters is faith working itself out Mm. in love and so we it is our job um and our calling and our responsibility to authentically love our congregations even as we might be called to speak a word of a challenging word or a word of judgment or a word of uh, you know a prophetic word of change if you don't love people you're you're not you're not being faithful as a pastor so you showed up at that other church as a very faithful pastor and you allowed the lord to lead you in loving them and they were not capable of really receiving or returning that love and the place that that really was manifested most was in the in the moment of death and so it's just as your friend, so poignant to see Derida, mm. which I mean, like any church in transformation has, you know, need of transformation and yes. so has growing to do and learning to do, but they love you and really clearly, you know, honor you as their pastor and as they should feel very grateful um, to have your leadership. And that is a very visible sign that glorifies God and yeah. and magnifies the kingdom of God and it's just worth like it's yeah. just so I mean it will bring tears to my eyes yeah. to think about um that woman who was a white woman obviously I don't even think we clarified that oh, but obviously that. Okay. Yeah. was a white woman growing up when she did and then dying with and having a black man officiate mm-hmm. at her at the celebration of her life just yeah. her loving you and you yeah. loving her is such a manifestation of the power and the grace of the kingdom of God. And that's why I feel like we happen to be American Christians and the original sin of America is still so pervasive and powerful. And I do feel like one of the places for hope and healing is within the body of Christ. Absolutely, And that's why it matters so much. And the healing of the racial divide in this country is one of the things that glorifies God and it's so biblical to say that's what Paul was doing when he founded all those early churches of Jews and Gentiles together because the things that divide us in the world they don't disappear in the kingdom but they don't divide us anymore and we honor one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's beautiful. It's and really I, beautiful.
1: I'm not knocking government programs or any kind of programs where people fund and spend a lot of money. I'm not knocking that but I am astonished by the beauty and the power of this without any kind of program, without any kind of funding. It's just relationship in Jesus by the power of the Spirit.
0: Well, I mean, I just think it's the only, it's authentic relationship. I mean, it is a space where people can come in and have an authentic relationship on something that's transcendent. And so, I mean, what other hope is there, really? I, anyway, that's beautiful. And, and I just her love for you and your love for her is is just really transcendent. It's just really beautiful.
1: Yeah, we will we'll definitely miss Francis. So what is astonishing you?
0: Um well I had an, an a similar moment. I think um, like the really incredibly beautiful thing about being a pastor is you you know you go into it wanting to serve God and you go into it understanding that you are a servant leader and so you mm. want to serve these people that you have been privileged to shepherd or And, and I mean, I think we do like we, we give value, we serve people and that's really wonderful. But I think what you don't, I don't expect what people don't realize is just how much um, people like minister to us in the context of being a pastor. Right. I remember, um, just thought of the story. There was a, a woman who was a nun and then became a professor. Her name, her name is escaping me. She's an author, I mean, she's living in New England and um, anyway, left the Catholic Church and became UCC and then had the opportunity to be a pastor and was really discerning, you know, am Mm -hmm. I called to this or not? And she said the reason she said yes was a friend of hers, a colleague of hers in the seminary said, oh, don't ever like it would be a shame if you missed the opportunity to be loved by a church right and it is true that i think what what makes the headlines are the stories about churches who abuse their pastors or churches who whatever and i mean those things happen unfortunately but but often i think churches are capable of really loving their pastors and in really powerful and holy and healthy ways and i think i mean that's certainly what i experienced at the grove and um Anyway, and this past Sunday, um, a friend of mine in the church, um, <laughs> she she pulled me aside after worship, which is kind of a vulnerable time, right? You're just, you, you've said everything that there is to say. You put, and, and she pulled me aside. And this is my friend. So when she said this, it wasn't too scary, but it was still a little scary. And she said, I just want to say something to your face. I was like, okay. <laughs> she said, well, I'm praying this. Um, behind your back so I just want you to know (laughs) that I'm praying this to your face behind your back back. so I'm just going (laughs) to say it to your face so that when this crops up in your life you just know that it comes from my prayers and she proceeded um, to speak this word about a, um, a, a some work that she wants me to do that she thinks I'm capable of doing and is encouraging she spoke a word of encouragement to me and it just was so it was so powerful, you know, and, and and because I think this life, this pastoral life, when it's really healthy, is there's just so much mutuality mm, in it yes. that you, we are anointed to call out the anointing in other people. And when we, when through us, God creates a healthy culture of church where there's a spirit of, you know, abundance and trust in God and a spirit of encouragement You know, people also call anointing out of us. And it's just this really beautiful feedback loop of shalom. And anyway, so that was my moment was just my my friend calling me out after church and be like, I just want to say something to your face. And then just speaking this really beautiful word of encouragement over me and my ministry. And I just think like, this is an amazing thing to be part of this community. And I don't mean this particular community of the Grove, Mm -hmm. although the Grove is amazing. I just mean, this is what the church is, is this community founded on the love and abundance and life of Jesus Christ. And it's beautiful. And that's, I think another reason why I feel very passionate about evangelism. And I feel very passionate about creating healthy churches and inviting people into them because People can become their best selves in the context of a really healthy, faithful, um, holy church. So,
1: yeah, that reminds me of that place in Acts, and I can't remember which chapter, but uh, it's in the church in Antioch, which is one of my favorite New Testament churches. It is uh, multi-ethnic. As you as you uh, read Acts, it it lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people, some of the people in that church, and just by their names, you can locate them in various places Mm -hmm. in the um, um, Mediterranean, North African world, Um, but there's a place in Acts where it says, uh, in the middle of worship, the spirit spoke to the worshiping uh, group and said, okay, set aside for me. Paul and Barnabas, I've got some work from them to do, and it is beautiful when the when the mm-hmm. when the people of God can say to those who lead, "I think God's calling you to do." Da 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 da. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, uh, that was really really nice. So, and I will say that just leads directly to what I'm thinking about. So I'll just oh, very good. Uh, so I am reading, and I've been waiting for this, and it finally came. This book um, called "Unfollow" by Megan Phelps Roper, who is the granddaughter of the founder of Westboro Baptist Church. And it is about her journey, her growing up in Westboro Baptist Church and then and then her journey out of that of unfollowing that. And um, so I just um, it's an incredible story and I'm only halfway through, um, and I've actually, for once, like, you know, she keeps, she's promoting her book right now. So she keeps popping up on various podcasts and and I don't want to read anything. I don't want to listen to her. I just want to read the book first. And, um, but I think it's very hard to read because the, the gospel that she received, um, and the picture of God that she grew up with is so ugly. Like, it's just so... Ugly, and it's so hard to read it, I even mean, it's a beautiful story. I mean, it's it's beautiful and and I know enough about how she was rescued out of that through the power of relationship and people being present that I'm super excited. I don't mean the writing is ugly. I just it's hard to see people proclaim God, our God, and just in in such a twisted way and not even. Yeah not even intentionally, right? Like that is the hardest thing is that you can tell from reading this book that-
1: That they believe what they're- Right.
0: I mean, they were not, you know, they're not trying to get rich. They're not building a big follower. Like this is really, their understanding of God is, you know, it's, it's very Tulip, right? It is the most classic understanding of total depravity, limited atonement. That You know, just there are very few people who know- the truth about God, and those people alone are worthy and good, and everyone else is hated by God. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's not even an extreme version of TULIP, really. TULIP mm. being the acronym for Reformed theology. For Calvinism. Calvinism. And, um, and so it's just has been really painful to read it. And the only other book that I've ever read that was this hard to read, have you ever heard, there's a book called The Foreskins Lament,
1: I don't know that one. It's
0: another autobiography by a man who was raised in just a very brutal extreme sect of Orthodox Judaism. And so in both of these books, you know, script they're just constantly quoting scripture to justify, you know, the culture and the actions of these organizations. And it's just so painful to see these words be twisted in this way and think like, no wonder there are so many people who want to run Mm. when they hear the word God, because this, because this is what they've been taught that that means anyway. So that I'm thinking about that right now and I, I'm, I have not gotten to the, to the good part yet. So Mm. I, I can't speak about it yet, but just how, how powerful I mean, Scripture is so powerful, and it can be used by the enemy as we know from Scripture, and when it is, it's just an incredibly destructive tool of oppression and bondage and hate.
1: A couple of weeks ago, we were in Bible study at Derrida, and um, I made a confession to the group. I said, you know, I was referring to the Sunday, the, the sermon that previous Sunday, and I said, when we got to this place in the text... I was tempted to make it say this, Mm -hmm. but it really means this other Mm -hmm. thing, and just confess that to the group and how easy it is uh, to do that. And I said, I want to show you how some people twist the text, and I want you to know that I'm not immune from Mm -hmm. that temptation. And one of the things I pray every week um, before I write a sermon and on Sunday morning is help me to rightly divide this word of truth mm-hmm. um, because I, I really want to be accurate in
0: well, my the,
1: interpretation of the, of the scripture.
0: And that's why I think it's so important to keep differentiating people to people and to myself. There's our faith in God and there's God. Mm. And they're not the same, right? And so what I have faith in is God. I don't have faith in my faith in God, right? I don't, I know that I do not have a full picture or a full understanding of who God is. I, I know, I know that my faith is not adequate. It is not enough. It is not perfect. It's not full truth. I know that because I am a human. And so my brain isn't capable of fully divining the truth or, Mm -hmm. you know, fully comprehending God. But one
1: of the things that we have to embrace is not simply that we don't know everything and we need to add to our knowledge, but that we think some things that are wrong
0: Correct. and that
1: we... Can and need to be corrected, and we've got to see that correction as joy, correct? Right, and and often we try to avoid that because we build these systems, correct? And then we want to protect those systems with everything that is within us. Because if you show me one area where I'm wrong, well, what if the whole thing Thing falls falls down,
0: and then I have nothing to believe in? Yes, and to be able to say, No, but I don't believe in my faith, I believe in God, and so I don't trust my faith, I trust God, and what I know. And what I have experienced is enough to, so that I can walk in trust that God is good and God is for me and not mm-hmm. against me and that God is at work in my life, even beyond what I am aware of or can understand yeah. or even participate in, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that if a piece of something I was so certain about with God is is revealed to me to be false, that does not mean that God is false. That doesn't mean that God is yes. not real. It means that this piece of my understanding was an illusion, and God loves me enough to remove that illusion oh. so that I can walk deeper and fullness of who God is. And I can trust that that fullness will be beyond what I imagined in a good way and not in a bad way. That God is never less than I hope or dream for, yeah. but always more. And so, but yeah, that idea of like, I don't, my faith is, is, a means to the end, um, but it's not the end. Yeah. And that's really important so that when God shows us that we're in error, we can say, oh, thank you. And mm-hmm. now let me walk in right belief yeah. and more. Reformed and always and reforming. And always reforming. Someone said that. Anyway. <laughs> what are you thinking about, friend?
1: Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So last week was really busy and... um you know, busy's funeral, bad. Bible study, and is not bad, but when you have a sermon to write and you have very little time, it can feel bad, um, but God is good and gracious and wonderful, and so I remember sitting down on Saturday to write, and I mean, it's like five or six o'clock Saturday afternoon, evening, and... I still didn't have an outline, right? Which is mm-hmm. the first thing I do. I got a I need a roadmap where where's this thing going? So finally I get an outline written and I start writing my manuscript. And
0: our sermon processes, our processes
1: <laughs>
0: are so different. Right. Just you say. don't write an outline? No outline? I mean, not on paper, no. What?
1: Okay, all right. Well, yeah, we'll come back different, to
0: that. Different different topic, yes.
1: So I start writing my manuscript and again, God is gracious and wonderful. And it's flowing. It's flowing. Yeah, what
0: you're not going to say now on the podcast is what you said before. You said you are like literally yes. weeping I, as you're writing it because you're I so
1: moved. And I know every four, five, six weeks, I have um, uh, these moments while I'm writing the sermon where I just cry. And I know, okay, this is going to be a good... If I'm crying while writing the sermon, because... Um, c- I like my faith in Jesus a little bit emotional, so um, so I'm really connecting with the text, uh, what I think I'm hearing uh, from the Spirit, and um, and I'm being somewhat vulnerable uh, uh, in in the in the writing of this manuscript because I'm I don't often talk about myself, but I needed to be uh, transparent, and vulnerable, talking about um, depression and 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 some of the things that I've wrestled with and anyway the writing is going really really well and so Sunday morning I get up I am super excited about preaching because I'm thinking this is going to be one of the best sermons I've preached all year and then I start getting text messages oh my
0: gosh Sunday morning (laughs) texts are the worst like nobody texts Uh... you on Sunday morning Unless they are telling you there's a problem. Like no one will text you just to be like, Happy Sunday, or I brought you a donut. People are texting you to say, I'm not coming, the screen is broken, the bathroom is flooding. Like there is no, there is no such thing as a good text on Sunday morning. If you, if our 10 listeners ever want to (laughs) really punk a pastor in your life, just Send them a text on Sunday morning. It can say like Jesus loves you, but that ping on the phone Holy cow. will like cause your heart to drop into the bottom of your shoes.
1: Yes. So I'm getting several. Right. So not just one but several texts. Oh, those.
0: that's the worst. the worst. And you know, people are sick. I mean they're just they're just sick. Right, people are human. There's um, a human enterprise. Yes,
1: I'm yes, I gotta allow for people to get sick. Um, and we had, you know, a funeral the day before, and so some were just a t- tired and let me know they were not going to make it. Mm-hmm. It was raining, um, mm-hmm. and my own wife had a, a migraine, and so she couldn't make it. And so, so the long and short of it is, like, two-thirds of our singers were not there, uh, only one of our musicians. Uh, it was... A, a lot of people just didn't show up. So... By the time I get to church, I am angry. I'm disappointed. And uh, I'm in a really bad space.
0: Well, and I think... I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you and tell you how you feel. But like... (laughs) I mean, I think in those moments when we get angry, we're not really angry at other people. It's that we are anxious. Yes. And that anxiety is one of those uncomfortable feelings that it's easier to feel anger yeah. than to feel the anxiety and the failure and the dread and the...
1: Well, for me, it was it was the negative self-talk that mm-hmm. was getting to me. And the, the conversation, the voice in my head was saying, well, no one wanted to hear this sermon anyway. Mm-hmm. It's not nearly as good as you think it is. As a matter of fact... It's pretty crummy, and you know what? You're not that good of a preacher anyway. So it's probably better that people stay home and just watch or listen to mm-hmm. Charles Stanley because you know, that's probably a much better experience than getting out in the rain and listening to you. and so I get to church and I realize that my soul it just isn't in a good place. Mm-hmm. right. And so I'm so grateful that I know. Mm-hmm that I have resources to fight that because I know Mm -hmm. that is a spiritual battle. That is Mm -hmm. the enemy. That's not me. That's not the Holy Spirit. And so um, I just go off to a little corner and I pray and I I just say the opposite of what the voice Mm -hmm. has been saying. You know Mm -hmm. what? No, I'm called. I'm gifted to do this work. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if there are five people or 500. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Mm -hmm. And um, we had... A great worship experience. Mm-hmm. The preaching moment was fantastic. But I left um, um, the our campus that Sunday, or this past Sunday, thinking, if I have to do that, how much more difficult is it for people without seminary training or mm-hmm. people who are, you know, a, a different spiritual place in terms of their sanctification, their, their growth um, in discipleship? And so I'm thinking now. I I need to I need to teach people to to do what I did in that moment because yeah. we do have resources to fight that. And now I have so much more compassion for some of the folks in our community who, when called upon to do things like pray on us anymore, they're really reluctant. And I used to think, uh, well, you just don't have enough experience doing it, and you just need to do it, or you know this thing or that thing. And now I, I'm thinking, well. I wonder if it's that voice um, mm-hmm. telling them, no, you're not good enough, you're not holy enough, you're not this, you're not that. Like, I need to teach them to to fight that voice. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think it's really interesting. I mean, it's really important that the church community is a place where you can show up in your full humanity. Mm-hmm. And so you are, you have to be, has to be real. Mm-hmm. And so it has to be a place where you don't have to come in and put a mask on and pretend everything is perfect or pretend you're happy when you're not. I mean, no one... Is happy all the time unless they're on drugs right <laughs> I mean we have a whole palette of emotions and all of them have a good you know edifying purpose in in our lives but I do also think I mean we were talking about this morning when we were having a worship meeting and, and thinking about um worship in 2020 and I think we are gonna um in August do a sermon series that our friend Carl titled like being human, a walk through the Psalms and just talking about like Psalms are all about people bringing the full range of their humanity before God in prayer and God being big enough to receive that and sanctify that and know what to do with it. And so I think that idea that in that we, that not only in the church, do we receive in this community revelation about who God is, but we from God receive revelation about what Humanity is and how to be human. And so it's important that we don't just assume that people are going to know how what emotional health looks like. And of course, that should be part of what we allow scripture and the experience of our tradition to teach us. Not, you know, you're only you're of no use to God unless you're happy, but how do I be authentic before the Lord in my sadness, in my despair, in my anger, in my fear? How can I? name these emotions and feel them, but not let them control me. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so all of that, I think we have been so um, focused in the church lately on either doctrine or behavior, right? That we have not just helped people understand that really your relationship with God is not dependent on your right understanding of God or your agreement with God. God is God all by himself mm-hmm. <laughs> and your relationship with God is not dependent upon your right behavior, mm-hmm. right? That this changed behavior is a symptom of your relationship, not the cause of your relationship. And so there's something about the sanctuary and the body of Christ where you, it's this safe space to come in as you are and present yourself to the Lord and be,
1: that's good. You know,
0: be transformed. And so I, yeah, I not so you well. have
1: a kind of plastic piety.
0: Right. right, right. And I mean, I, I think there's a lot going on in life that makes people angry, makes people fearful, makes people ashamed or feel guilty or sad. And to be able to say, you're not God's not mad at you or disappointed in you if you feel those feelings. And maybe there's even some, some right place to to have those emotional responses, but you don't have to get stuck there and you don't have to be limited in your experience of God by your feeling that day. that So I, I think that's really, really great. Because, yeah. I mean, I think about that a lot. I don't want... Um, I know that anything that happens in worship that matters is fully dependent, inspired, and controlled by cool. the Holy Spirit. But sometimes um, my <coughs> experience of it is colored by my emotion that, you know... And it's really, I have to remind myself that whether I feel, however I feel about the energy in the room or the, you know, my quote performance, that's got nothing to do with who God is and how other people are communing with God. Thank goodness. Um,
1: Well, part of changing my my self-conversation on Sunday was to acknowledge, look, we may get to the preaching moment. And it just may not go over well. That still doesn't mean that God mm-hmm. isn't doing something with it and using it. And so I'm not going to evaluate the the the, the usefulness, the value of it, um, by what it looks like on the outside.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I mean there are Sundays, you know, not infrequently where I <laughs> like on on the floor in my office with the doors shut, just being like I. I I mean, it's just a daunting thing to preach, unless you're an idiot. I mean, right? Like, if you're stupid enough to believe that you deserve mm. to preach or that you have something to say, I mean, you're just so vulnerable to the Holy Spirit. And, um, and I mean, my place of surrender is just to say, you know what, God, I all I want is for your people to be fed by your word today. So yeah. if you choose to feed them by your word today in a way that makes me look cool, I mean... Mm. I'm all for that. I'm all for that. (laughs) That's my preference. But if the way you need to feed your people by your word today is for me to look like a fool, that's okay too. Mm. Like that's okay. What matters is the people who were faithful enough, who fought battles to get into this space today, um, that that you do what what you um, have for those folks through me or around me. Yeah, that's that's irrelevant. So, I really I resonate with that anyway. So, what are you preaching on this week?
1: Well, we're still feeling emotions on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Last week was depression. This week, anger. Looking mm-hmm. at the Cain and Abel story. I know.
0: Is this? I'm sorry. 52 <laughs> weeks of joy with well, a little bit of anger no, and no, <laughs>
1: it's it's things that that can can block anger. Uh, I mean, block like joy. joy. Mm-hmm. Um, so last week it was about depression, and uh, uh, this week. Anger and um, one of the things that has really gotten my attention as I studied um, the text this week, and this is not it's not really in the text, but usually when we think of anger, we think of burning, explosive, mm-hmm. um, whether it's verbal or physical rage, you know like a, a volcano. But anger can also be... Cold. Silent, cold, hard, like, um, like an iceberg. And for those of us who are the latter, like myself, we can kind of make a way in the world where people don't see how angry we really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in my mid to late 20s, I sought a uh, spiritual director uh, because of anger issues uh, as a matter of fact, you know, we had to, uh, in the process of being ordained, we all had a CPM, mm-hmm. Committee on Preparation for Ministry, and I remember meeting with my CPM in Memphis, and uh, one woman on the committee said, you know what, I've never seen you smile, and wow. uh, yeah, and and I, I did. At the time, I had anger issues, and so I, I got a spiritual director, and I met once a month, sometimes twice a month, with a um, a nun, a Roman Catholic nun in in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, just to deal with anger because I I can have a sort of exterior that doesn't let people know how angry uh, I really am, and uh, so we'll be looking at uh, that subject. Uh, Cain and Abel. Uh, another thing that, that's come to me uh, while staying in the text is that anger really has its roots in idolatry. Like there's there's just like mm-hmm. this little idol on the altar of our hearts. Well,
0: sometimes. Right?
1: Well, often, well, okay, I'm talking about anger that's not holy, that's not righteous. Right, okay. Right, and so when that, when that idol gets touched, well, we just feel all kinds of offense. And we think it's the whatever circumstance it is, we think that's the thing that's making us angry and we've got to drill down into the real reason. Like, if I'm driving, I think it's the traffic that's making me angry, but really, it's it might be something like I'm trying to present to the world um, a certain kind of image. I want people to think of me as someone who's on top of things and punctual, and mm-hmm. so this being late is not helping me keep up my the, the idol of my self-image, right? And so um, I want to kind of drill down into that kind of thinking uh, Well,
0: I of think anger. that for, for what it's worth, as a white person listening to a black man mm-hmm. talk about anger, I think it's important for... White people need to know how to receive and sit with and affirm the righteous anger of African Americans. And so I think because the anger at injustice is so uncomfortable for white people to behold, often our first instinct is just to to like rationalize away or say like, it's not really that bad. Or, you know, Jesus will make it all right someday, Mm -hmm. or it's not my fault. Don't Mm -hmm. be angry at me. And so I think that won't be what you're talking about. I mean, you're differentiating sort of the, the sin fueled anger of Cain Mm -hmm. from say the righteous anger of Amos. But I think that it will be really important to make that explicit in the preaching moment, Mm -hmm. lest, all of the white members of your congregation go home and think, "Great, I don't have to listen to another angry black activist ever again because my preacher said it's idolatry. Hmm. <laughs> that's I'm just speaking of you know the pathology how, how of it
1: might be heard yeah right yeah.
0: And that, that that's just really yeah. there are there is righteous anger and then there's uh, you know unrighteous anger and and being able to discern between the difference is really important.
1: Yeah, and I think that's right. Um, it's uh, It just becomes difficult sometimes to always navigate those issues without having them take over the sermon, but I think I can have a movement in the sermon where I say, okay, look, there's just a- parentheses, pause. Let's Let's make sure we know this before we move on.
0: Right, uh, I mean, because I think to be able to say, like for me to be angry for three hours because somebody cut in front of me at Starbucks this is not a righteous anger. Like a minute
1: now. No, this is, I mean, but
0: the, you know, or like for Cain to be angry <laughs> at God, it's accepting Abel's sacrifice, mm-hmm. this is not a righteous anger because there was nothing, it didn't, there was nothing that was taken yeah. from Cain by, yeah. you, you know, so being able to, I mean, that's a really tricky thing because a lot of mm-hmm. people just are comfortable feeling angry but are very uncomfortable experiencing anyone else's anger. And so that's a problem. I don't know. Good luck with that, well, friend. I don't I uh, I think that's a tricky thing. I
1: may to need to with. follow up with another sermon: how to how to receive anger, not not ex- simply express anger, but how to receive
0: other people's. Actually, anger. I think that would be yeah. a brilliant thing. I mean, yeah. that's really um, Bob Henderson told me once that when he was uh, when parishioners are angry with him, he thinks a lot about just being quiet, and he says like the more listening is just letting extra oxygen into the room. Mm. which is such a good image about and I do mm. recognize sometimes if you can just receive people's anger and just let people know I will listen as long as you need to talk without interrupting or justifying or whatever it really
1: is there a text is that comes to mind no okay
0: but that, that's the Bible according to Bob Henderson I don't know <laughs> well
1: I, I, I mean you mentioned I probably earlier misquoted the psalms. him too <laughs> I, I mean a lot of the psalms are doing that and you don't get Well, I do
0: think that um, the infamous, yeah, I suspect the dashing, let their Mm -hmm. infants' heads be dashed Mm -hmm. against the rocks. What's that, 139? That's not 139. I'm not sure which one. But that is an example of anger going, you know, expressing your anger to God, just the full, brutal, Mm -hmm. violent reality of it and God receiving it. Yeah, yeah. Um, So... Anyway, I don't know. I am preaching on the end of Amos. You're running out of time, so I will say that... um, I know Yolanda has to leave to go watch a performance at his kid's school, and I am watching (laughs) the time for this. I don't want Matthew, sweet little Matthew, sitting out there saying, where's daddy? Where's my daddy? (laughs) Um, I'm preaching the end of Amos, which is um, the restoration of the hope oracles. And so I am... um, happy to do that i'm feeling a little uh overwhelmed at making that you know when i read your text
1: earlier um i just noticed god saying over and over again i will i will i will i will do all of these wonderful things i will restore i will rebuild um it's gonna be interesting to see how you how you preach that i mean do you have a image do you have a
0: I just, you know, it's interesting that piece of the text, um, many scholars think it's not authentic to Amos because, um, well, you know, the book of Amos, he just like explodes like this whirlwind of God saying, you know, because of the violent injustice of this, um, I'm going to disrupt the violent injustice systems that are in this country. And, um, Really, just describes the the consequence for these sin filled choices. and um then all of a sudden, it's a, a switch is flipped. and it's very abrupt then just, but it's, you know, a- after the exile, after the destruction, after the disruption, there's a rebuilding, there's a restoring, there's a redeeming. And I think that's, you know, important for for people to understand that. You know, God doesn't destroy to destroy. God, you know, destroys what is death-dealing in order yeah. to replace it with what is wow. life-giving. And, and so, but I I do think it's interesting that um, a lot of the scholars think this can't be the same prophet speaking for the same God. But I mean, it is.
1: Yes, um, and it reminds me of when I was in seminary, um again, I was very angry uh, with the injustice that I experienced at the seminary. I remember we had professors retiring and um, uh, I remember going to uh, people with power saying you need to be intentional about hiring African American scholars. And (laughs) I was told we don't know any PhDs, we don't, we don't know where to find them. And I remember being so angry, and um, I remember my faculty advisor, Johanna Boss said, it is not your job to fix white people. Um, you may be trying to do too much which is interesting coming from her, I mean, a justice advocate. But in retrospect, I think she was trying to tell me what your text is pointing to. That is, after the call for justice in Amos, there is a sense where the the, the prophet and anyone seeking the kingdom and the reality, the manifestation of the kingdom has to pause and acknowledge that ultimately god is going to do it it is not going to be because of our wonderful efforts god is going to use our efforts but but we are not we are not the builders of the kingdom
0: yeah i mean i think that it's it's sort of a way of saying we don't have to be limited by the brokenness of the world we don't have to call a lie the truth or brokenness whole that there's a way to be transcendent among the wreckage because we know what systems are passing away and we know what is replacing you know the kingdom that's coming and we know that it is not up to us and it is not um under the control of the you know the powers that be and our
1: efforts our work even though we don't see often the kind of change we Mm -hmm. want to see our efforts are not wasted.
0: And I think like part of the point is it's harder. I mean, and this is, we've talked about this before and I know we have to wrap up, but it is easier to preach about what you're against yes. than to preach about what you're for, which yes. is why there are whole branches of the body of Christ that like all they can talk about is abortion or all they can talk about is, you know, what's wrong with Islam. Like all the the imagination, it is easy to imagine what is wrong and to mm-hmm. rail against it's easier to build a community based on who's not allowed in yeah, yeah. than to cast a vision for what is good and what is beautiful and what is lovely and to build a community that, that is based on what it's for. Then it's easier to base a community community on what you are against. And so I think this prophetic vision at the end of Amos, I mean, it's hard. It's almost as if you can see the limit of Amos's own prophetic imagination of being able to conceive of the kind of restoration that God is going to do because you know we none of us have a memory of Eden right like our whole understanding of what reality is is shaped by the fall but I do feel like as believers in a in a authentic way not in a like saccharine masky Mm -hmm. you know manby-pamby way but like to do the hard work of imagining a a godly realm is really important because it helps us um you know it helps us to have our heart set on God and up, upon the things of God as opposed well, to the things Even of
1: the world. John in the book of Revelation who has a vision keeps saying it was like this it was, <laughs> it yeah. was like that. I right. mean he even he can't fully describe.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because I think one of the reasons we don't like especially if we we have a bent as I think we all should towards um, speaking, you know, for justice. And, Mm -hmm. and I mean, I do not think social justice is a bad word. I think like, is there another kind of justice (laughs) other than social? Like what (laughs) theoretical justice, fake justice? I don't know, whatever. I mean, justice is social, it's a social construct. But so those of us who, who are trying to help our communities understand that are trying to, um, live in line with God's values for justice. Um, at times it can seem like, you know, the promise and having hope in the promises of God mm. can be seen as a placebo. like this is Marx's critique, right? It's just pie in yeah. the sky, by and lie. He takes you. But I think it's exactly the opposite. It's having a vision and a taste for what a redeemed and restored society, Looks like that doesn't yes. disempower you to do the work of dismantling. It actually empowers you to do yes. the work of dismantling, and not from a place of enmity or rage, but from a place of hope and love and um, peace. Right? Yes. That I'm not I'm not fighting you because I don't have to because God has already won this battle, yeah. and so I'm just walking in the in the abundance of that victory.
1: So and, and the church exists not simply to proclaim this justice, to proclaim this kingdom, but to live it and to 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 be an example. And so justice begins at home, right? Mm -hmm. So the work of justice begins by making our communities, our worshiping communities, our congregations just communities. And so that is why we deal with ethnicity. That's why we deal with gender. That's why we deal with how we treat the poor in our midst. That's why we want um, congregations that have uh, folks from different uh, places uh, on the economic ladder so that we can work out these issues in the context of the community so that the larger society can see the church and say, that is beautiful. Look at how they Mm -hmm. take care of the poor. Look at how they relate, how they truly are brothers and sisters. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, we are glad that you all were listening to us today. Thank you. Um, If you want to see how these sermons turn out, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you can check out Yolanda's (laughs) sermons on the Podbean Uh, website search for Derrida Presbyterian Church and you can also google Derrida Presbyterian Church and zip over to his website and if you want to know what's happening at the Grove our website is under construction actually but it's thegrovecharlotte.org, and you can look for um, our sermon podcast on iTunes the Grove Charlotte so we'll talk to you next week